Australian car reviews started off pretty bad. They got worse, and today they're beyond worthless. This would, of course, just be a joke if you didn't also have 50 to 60 grand or something burning a hole in your pocket. Pretty fertile terrain, really, in which to sow the seeds of a very expensive mistake if you manage to get the choice wrong, perhaps after watching the wrong review. You will never look at researching a new car the same way again after this. Have you ever, if only once, clicked on a video knowing full well that doing so was a mistake. You knew that YouTube's billion-dollar artificial intelligence was gaming your mind. Knew you'd be shouting at the screen in a matter of seconds, but you clicked anyway, right? Yeah, well, me too, dude, and we'll get to that. You're not doing it now, are you? I don't care. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au, and I get new cars cheap. <laughs> for buyers here in Australia. Website for that, obviously. Or you can just click the card that may or may not be... Uh... Dude. This report is my honest personal opinion. I think that's going to be important with this one. Now, as many of you know, I own a Mitsubishi Triton GSR. It's about 18 months old now, and I've been quite happy with it. It's not a Ranger or a Hilux, but it was about 12 grand cheaper, and that mattered. And it does some of the things that it does really well, including most of the things that I need it to do, like get me and my gear betwixt fat caves, for example. And that's kind of important to me. Therefore, recently, there was absolutely no need whatsoever for me to click on... Wheels, Australia's Triton GSR review. I knew doing so would make me laugh and or cry and or hurl poop at the screen. The better to convey my opinion of it. And in that respect, it did not disappoint. I was poop hurling in seconds. Yes, and that doesn't happen all that often. Maybe a couple of times a week, whatever. I will also help you understand just how crap Australian car reviews have become. I'll put a link in the description for the full package, should you wish to inflict that upon yourself. 24,000 people have clicked and stuck around for at least 30 seconds of this masterpiece and counting. It's the magazine's third most popular video over the past two months, according to the YouTube homepage, at least if you measure such a thing by views. Some of those viewers have doubtless used the package as part of their ute-buying decision-making process. Hold that thought. According to its rather up-itself-self, Wheels offers, quote, world-class new car reviews from, quote, Australia's most knowledgeable and respected car critics. Step number one, if you'd like to take a big tumble, is, of course, ascend a Really, really high pedestal. Based on its own sentiment about itself, I have absolutely no doubt that wheels could come over to your house, perhaps next Friday evening, and take a big steaming dump in the centre of your lounge room, and you wouldn't smell a thing. Possibly roses. Anyway, 
I clicked. I knew it was wrong, but it felt so good doing something that was absolutely so wrong. It was just like Tiffany in a cheap motel. There was music and a badly edited montage by way of foreplay, and eventually there were words. And after just six of those, I was bouncing on the bed, riffing air guitar, wearing no pants, and getting ready to hurl poop at the screen. Thanks, wheels. This is a Swiss army knife. Not to disparage gratuitously, but on closer inspection, at the limit of resolution, not actually seeing a Swiss army knife, dude. I'm sniffing the distinct odour of fold-out Allen key lying about being a Swiss army knife, wrapped in the hope that nobody notices. This is like being at a restaurant and ordering turd of Great Dane wrapped in prosciutto and stuffed with pine nuts on a red wine reduction for about 50 bucks a plate and being told that this is the epitome of fine dining. I could be wrong, but unlikely. This is actually one of the funniest things I've ever seen in an Australian car review. It's like watching Shoestring Budget Inception, where Alan Key, Pinocchio, dreaming of growing up into a real boy with a real Swiss army knife, dreams of growing up into one of, quote, Australia's most knowledgeable and respected car critics, who dreams of praying to Electric Jesus himself that a horrible bastard in a fat cave does not click when YouTube's AI recommends this straight-to-DVD babushka-dreaming nightmare car review flop. The idea is that whatever situation you find yourself in, or whatever job you have to complete, it can help you out. <sighs> OMFG, dude. He just explained to you and me what a Swiss army knife is. I already knew. How about you? Hands up if you did not know what a Swiss army knife is. It's intelligence insulting, isn't it? If your hands are still down, I'd suggest. This is the broadcast equivalent of putting a caption on a photograph entitled Hot Blonde in Skimpy Bikini Frolicking on Beach. A gratuitous and yet world-class and impossibly uplifting beachscape interlude there. Very healthy pastime. Australia's leading spectator sport, of course. If you just landed here from Alpha Centauri, those were hot blondes in skimpy bikinis frolicking on the beach. That should help with the probing, which is, of course, why you've come all this way. These days, dual cabs are just as likely to be hauling kids to school as they are a cubic metre of topsoil. Now, far be it from me, typically, to elect to urinate prolifically over such elegant, world-class and highly respected pros, but out here in reality, this is a very dangerous claim to make, in my view, especially if your audience is so emphatically dumb that Swiss Army Knife is a concept that actually demands explanation by way of metaphor. Because you simply cannot actually carry a cubic metre of topsoil in a dual cab. That's just 
cuckoo's nest, dude. Only dangerous. These kinds of utes just can't carry that much. Like average topsoil, 1.6 tonnes per cubic metre. 1.6 tonnes. And the problem with that is... Payload is 900 kilos. Yes, it is. Well done. Well, it's actually 901, but close enough for government work. World class, dude. As I see it, utes like this are way short of 1.6 tonnes on the cubic metre soil cartilage capability front. And if I were in the market for a ute, I would want to listen to a world class reviewer for whom the term payload was not apparently just an abstract concept plucked for convenience from a spec sheet. I really would. I'd want to listen to a dude who knows that steel is, for example, about eight tonnes per cubic metre, who knows that concrete is 2.4, who knows that softwood is roughly 500, and hardwood is about double that, depending on moisture content and species and things of that nature. See, a dude such as that, well, he might not be world-class at all, he might be widely despised, even reviled as a grubby YouTube bottom feeder kind of personified Swiss army knife of opprobrium aggregation. But he would probably also know how much real-world stuff a fucking ute could actually carry safely. And that might matter. Because, I'd suggest, payload to a dude like that who quaintly thinks that the facts still matter. Even in the 21st century, a payload is not just a number on a spec sheet, is it? It's actual stuff being carried in actual vehicles with actual consequences if you actually fuck it up. It matters. I'm just not woke enough, like world-class enough, to imply, conveniently, that you might choose to carry a cubic metre of topsoil as commonly as dropping the friggin' kiddies at school in a vehicle like this. I mean, it does roll off the tongue, but it doesn't stack up to even cursory analysis. I'm held back by the facts on this one, and it's big to me. To me, that kind of claim is actually grossly irresponsible. It's like I've tried to cut the engineer out, but he's still down there. Claims of this nature might actually nudge a punter in the direction of procuring the vehicle in order to do exactly that. Expensive mistake, isn't it? Attempting to carry a cubic metre of topsoil in this kind of vehicle is dangerous, illegal, a warranty and insurance voider, and if you were to hit a speed hump or a spoon drain with even vestigial gusto massively overloaded like that, you would probably... banana ramify the shit out of the chassis, owing to the huge inertial bending moment which you have just unwittingly imposed. Payload is 900 kilos. On my world, planet fact, it's actually a really bad idea for any ute reviewer to stand stereotypically next to the tray discussing the payload. Because payload is not just the topsoil in the tray, dude. It's also the people and their stuff and any accessories you fit. And that typically puts a real dent in the load that you can actually jam deep up there hard into the rectum of your ute. That really matters. Payload is a zero-sum proposition, right? Like, you fit 100 kilos of bull bar or something, therefore you can now only carry 801 kilos of additional other crap. And if you weigh 100 kilos, it's 701. Like, 
People and their stuff and accessories detract from the topsoil and the fold-out Allen wrenches you might otherwise hypothetically carry. That's just how this works. Here's an example, okay? You and a colleague in some basic landscaping tools, like three or four bags of sand and cement or something, 300 kilos, tow bar and a bull bar, another 150 ballpark, in which case you would only have about 450 kilos left, which is under 300 litres of average topsoil. And then you will be overloaded, dude. So the real point to be made here, which world-class wheels respected and knowledgeable car critic did not actually make, disgracefully in my view, is that in fact, these vehicles are not designed to carry anything significantly heavy. They are light-duty general runabouts at best. The kind of conveyance in which you whip down to Bunnings with your Swiss Army knife and a hot blonde in a bikini and you return with a concrete mixer and some bags of sand or something for sunbathing later on. Living the dream. The second problem with this uh, cubic metre cartridge hypothesis is that the volume in the tub of a Triton with a roll-top tonneau cover is roughly 900 litres, and that would be dead level with the roll-top, right? I just measured it with a tape measure and everything and a calculator, inclusive of allowing for the wheel arches and the volume of the roll-top magazine. So even if you are a courier of butterflies or fairy floss or politician integrity, i.e. a mover and shaker of items that are more or less weightless, a cubic metre simply will not fit. And even more obviously for anyone who doesn't know what a Swiss army knife is, just get the friggin' dirt delivered, dude. For some nominal fee, they're going to tip it on site wherever you want and the roll-top tonneau of your brand new 60,000 buck ute will not grind away full of grit until the heat death of the universe. So that's nice. Now look, you could of course tow a cubic metre of dirt with a ute such as this, hypothetically, but you'd need a pretty swish trailer to do that. See, I've got an Aussie-made, fully galvanised 8x5 high-side trailer with 400 kilos of tear and a two-ton ATM, okay? It's got roller rocker suspension, twin axles, it's got brakes, obviously, and it will tow 1.6 tonnes of payload, maximum, like just on the limit. A cubic metre of anything in that trailer is a layer about 540 deep inside that trailer, so it will definitely fit. But even then, a cubic metre of topsoil is fraught, right, without a weigh bridge. Like, how are they going to measure a cubic metre or weigh it in the absence of those things using the context of the kinds of places you buy dirt as a yardstick? How are you going to know it's bang on 1.6 tonnes is what I'm saying? So in practice, you'd have to lowball it for the sake of conservatism, compliance and safety. 750 litres is probably safe, allowing for variations in moisture and compaction and composition of the dirt in the absence of actually weighing it. A trailer that can easily carry a cubic metre of soil is going to cost you like five or six grand. And if you're going to do that routinely, you would want it to tip. So 
make it more like 7000 bucks, And I'd suggest that's a shitload of on-site delivery, isn't it? And the client pays for this stuff anyway if you're doing it for your main gig. I'm struggling to think of something another ute has that this doesn't. Yeah, fair enough. Like, I have no doubt that that is an emphatically true statement. He probably is struggling despite being one of Australia's most knowledgeable and respected car critics. To me, that's kind of related to just not doing the research, dude. Because if you did that research, you'd have a list of these things and you could therefore just refer to it and then roll the camera and talk. That's kind of how I do it. Old school, I know. Because there's plenty of important stuff that Ranger, Wildtrak and Hilux Rogue have, for example, that Triton GSR doesn't. And these are just facts, dude. I'm not even cherry picking here. Wildtrak and Rogue are direct GSR competitors. They would be on rational shortlists together side by side, all three being at or near the summit of their respective lineups as well as Ranger and Hilux being the two top utes by sales. I can name 11 things off the top which Ranger and Hilux have, which Triton GSR does not. Mainly because research, hashtag, not that hard. The main point here is that, world class or not, being cognitively challenged, i.e., struggling to think of something is not the same thing as providing a rigorous deep dive for you, the intending purchaser, right? Which is kind of what they promised, isn't it, at the outset? So to me, when we get to this fork in the road, it's all a little bit wonder bra, isn't it? Kind of deflating. Cognitive challenge can, of course, ambush anyone on live TV. It's a real risk. I've been live on radio and TV hundreds of times for thousands of hours, so I'd know, because it's certainly friggin' ambushed me, and you have to have coping strategies for that. But this is not that, right? This is a pre-recorded and edited package. You can have as many takes as you want, dude. You can phone a friend in between them. You can get your phone and do the research on location. You can even fix it in post with the high-tech miracle of friggin' voiceover. Any presenter can have as many cracks at this as he needs to get it right. And you're not even on a deadline for the 6.30 bulletin tonight. I'd suggest if you have 60,000 bucks to spend, you don't care if he's struggling to think. You want to know if competing youths actually have features that this one lacks. And you want to know what they are because you can use that to make an informed choice and thus you can end up not buying the wrong fucking ute after making a $60,000 mistake using information provided by world-class Alan Key Pinocchio who appears to be unwittingly misrepresenting the facts. If what he means is Triton GSR is up there on spec with the competition, it's just not. I'm struggling to think of something another ute has that this doesn't. At the risk of injecting actual intellectual clarity on this, Hilux Rogue and Ranger Wildtrak both have motorised roll-top tonneaus, but you have to pull the roll-top shut manually in a GSR. Perhaps you can live with that, as I can. Ranger also has a built-in modem and a smartphone app that allows you to geolocate the vehicle and lock or unlock it, start the engine, etc. Triton does not have 
that. Rogan Wildtrak, they both have the tow bar installation standard, Triton does not. It's an accessory you have to buy separately with the Triton. This artificially inflates the price gap, making the Triton seem a thousand bucks cheaper before you level it up by fitting the tow bar. Ranger and Hilux also both have speed sign recognition and an 80 litre fuel tank versus Triton's 75. Now you might not think that five litres of diesel is such a big difference. If so, how about we do this? I'll drop you off 30 to 50 k's out from Dingo Piss Creek or something, middle of the day in summer, and you can walk the rest of the way and reconsider your view on that while I check out the hot babes in bikinis frolicking on the shore of the Golden Billabong before they get taken by some salty. Ranger and Hilux both have an 8-inch touchscreen versus Triton 7-inch, so there's that. Adaptive cruise control, Ranger and Hilux both have that, Triton does not. Triton has normal cruise control, not adaptive. If I were on the cusp of buying one, and hey, I did buy one, so it's pretty easy for me to walk a mile in those shoes, I would want to know all that. I did know all that. Ranger and Hilux both have standard integrated onboard AC power inverters too. Triton does not. Like it's not very much AC power on offer in either of those vehicles, but it is sufficient to charge up your laptop or power tool batteries. And both of those things go hand in hand with dual cab operations in a majority of cases, right? Ranger's also got a 12 volt outlet in the tub and a choice of engines. Triton does not. So that's 11 significant need-to-know equipment deficiencies on the Triton, many of which will actually matter a lot to would-be buyers, even if they, like I did, simply decide that they can live without these items in exchange for the significant cost saving. The core problem with car reviews, even these most knowledgeable and world-class respected ones apparently, is empathy, right? Like, can the reviewer empathise with the poor bastard about to drop the big chunk of cash on that friggin' car? On this, I'd suggest many car reviews are about as fundamentally empty as the suit wrapped around your average politician. I mean, look at this hill. It looks like I'd break an ankle walking up it. Really? Because I'm pretty sure I could friggin' run up there with both ankles intact, and I'm old. He might need to just harden up a frag, like a metric frag. That'd be enough. Watch Rocky or something. Sing a few bars of Eye of the Tiger, dude. Obviously, in order to do something of that nature, an arduous assignment such as that, I'd wear my proper off-roaders, high-vis safety thongs, for maximum protection and traction in tactically demanding conditions such as these. Venomous wildlife all around. Hashtag Australia. I certainly would not wear... Some friggin' half-arsed St Kilda bloody chai latte sipping loafers. Just a suggestion. Not out there anyway. The fragile ankles of this world-class reviewer belong to Scotty Newman. He's depicted here, obviously, seemingly praying that a person such as me takes no interest whatsoever in his fine work. Yet another unanswered prayer. Go figure. It's almost as if nobody's listening, isn't it? Scotty is one of my favourite motoring journalists. It's like me, Josh, Scotty, 
everyone else last. I do, however, find it more than a little hilarious that the default setting of reviewers is to detest having their reviews reviewed, which is another Inception-esque hexhead Pinocchio paradox, perhaps. Something of a double standard, at least, isn't it? Feel free to review me in the comments, dude. Like I give a shit. Knock yourself out. I promise not to care. Just please, and I mean this most sincerely, I'm not taking the piss, take it easy on Scotty, okay, in the comments. Do not be vile or hateful, I will block you if you are. He did get a big chunk of the review right, and my criticism is fundamentally not about him. He's just a dude doing his job. Most Australian car reviews are at least this bad, and many are worse. This is kind of at the upper edge of average, which is what makes the whole picture so depressing. And I'm pretty sure Scotty's giving it his best shot, and I'm further pretty sure that he's had little or no broadcast experience. And as an engineer, I can tell you that is not the way to get something right if it really matters. Right? It's just not. They don't do heart transplants by just giving it your best shot in the absence of training, do they? Or landing an airbus full of people. That's kind of the same principle. There are notable exceptions, I know. Like, as a nation, we buy fighter jets and submarines this way, obviously. And look how well that turns out. My core point is, it's not Scotty that's broken. It's the invisible machine that is wrapped around him. The presenters of these average-to-shit car reviews are just really a delivery system. It's the factory that breaks the product. See, all these Keystone Cops publishers, they call themselves world-class over and over, and they end up ultimately believing it. And they spend the big bucks on the toys, right? They've got freelancers with Inspire 2s and Red Monstros and Alexa Minis and Zeiss, frigging Master Primes. It's like Michael Bay out there only nauseating and still amateur. They actually believe that Hollywood shit matters. And dude, it doesn't. They're all attempting to emulate Top Gear from 20 years ago or something, and they're doing it atrociously badly, like tragically badly. They should just jump down here into the sewer and talk directly to you and like give it to you straight. It's really not so bad down here in the turd mine, is it? Perversely, these dipshit publishers have not typically invested anything in the quote-unquote world-class talent. Even though it's the talent that delivers the information, and it's the information which gives you pause to click, and if it's any good, you might even knock me down with a feather, become a friggin' subscriber. So there's that. Like... Dude, I'm not dumb enough to tell myself that you are still watching at this point in this atrociously long video because of my raw sex appeal. We'll have to leave that, perhaps, to the endlessly uplifting reviewers at, uh... Oh, yeah, Cartel TV. Those reviews really are world-class. Hashtag respect. You're watching now because I'm telling you something that's engaging you for some reason. And this is, of course, my shtick. YouTube tells me that average watch time per video on my channel is just over 10 minutes per view, right? Apparently, that's way over the odds. I don't know. I've never seen anybody else's data. So, ultimately, in this imperfect environment, the talent invariably fucks up in 6K through the prism of S-Log3, but still, 
edited by a 12-year-old. They fuck up in ways that anyone with basic broadcast experience never would. And you in the audience on the other side of the miraculous glass teat, who actually does know what a friggin' Swiss army knife is, you sense this cavalcade of upfuckery like a disturbance in the force, even if you can't detail specifically the anatomy of each successive on-camera upfuck. This occurs mainly because the reviews you watch are not really put out there for you, are they? They're contrived so that the publisher can show the car maker what a superb job they've done reviewing the product. And therefore, please backhand us with more of your beautiful advertising revenue. This is the mother of all bad incentives, and it is metastasizing through the industry. It's getting worse and worse. You can't even tell what an ad is and what an editorial is anymore. Come on. So what happens is you go under the bus so that the publisher and the car maker can have a pleasant little reach around under the table. And if this were consequence free, I'd just kick back with my pants off and toss poop at the screen privately. Like that is rather enjoyable. It's a recreational way to spend the afternoon. I recommend it to you without reservation. It's just another day in the fat cave, really. But this is a real problem for you, okay? It's a serious problem because you're shouldering the significant financial risk of dropping all of that cash, your cash, you worked hard for it. You're dropping it potentially on the wrong vehicle based on Pinocchio Swiss Army Knife information. Like, perhaps you really do need to carry a cubic metre of topsoil or anything else as often as you drop the kids at school. So you watch World Class Wheels, where an allegedly top-shelf respected car critic educates you that this is a common practice, and you go out and you buy a dual cab. How disappointing. Or you hear world-class and respected advice to the effect that, I'm paraphrasing, Triton GSR is just as fully loaded as a wild track or rogue, only, miraculously, 12 grand cheaper. It's not, dude. Like, it can't be. And if you buy the wrong ute, oops-a-daisy, quite the expensive mistake to unfuck, isn't it? Most motoring journalists cannot relate to putting 60 grand on the table, right? Because A, the pay is shit and they generally can't afford it, and B, the car industry flings them some freshly detailed brand new car to drive once a week, so why bother? It's a cushy club, and I know this because I used to be a paid-up friggin' member. Car industry executives have exactly the same problem, incidentally. They have no friggin' idea about the commitment that underpins the ownership of any new car, like NFI, dude. In publishing, there's a significant pressure. Every day, you go in every day, there's pressure to produce more. In this case, more and more glowing reviews to keep that reach around exciting, to take it to the next level. And there's zero training for presenters and no quality control. There's no executive producer who will ream you out for even the most basic broadcast upfucks. Wrong prop, presentation of stupidity, like you presume the audience is stupid, that's a cardinal sin. Not knowing how much stuff weighs, not understanding the granular detail of the competitors and their specifications. Like, come on, how many sins are there? This must be most of them. 
This is not an environment that fosters a continuum of improvement vis-a-vis -vis the quality of reviews, at least as they pertain to you. That quest for excellence. Not unless ultimate wank is in fact the objective, like personal opinion. It seems to me that as a consumer, you need to do informational triage around every review, hell, around every piece of content you consume. Everyone does reviews. They're mostly shit. Triage is therefore a core skill which you need urgently to develop if you have not already because clearly you cannot depend upon even a world-class review from the nation's most knowledgeable and respected reviewers to get you to the pointy end of making an informed decision in a transaction of this magnitude. And that's a disgrace in my view. Essentially what I'm saying here from deep in the turd mine is watching a review can't be a passive undertaking any longer. You've got to grab your own handful of poop and get ready and decide up front exactly what is bullshit and who you can actually trust.